0: Hey friends, welcome back to the Nod Wines podcast. I am your host, Nadia Mincy, but you can call me Nod. This is episode four, and we're back with a winemaker guest in the studio. It is also officially the 2022 holiday season, so you know I have to drop a little sentimental story and some wine pairing ideas later in the episode. For now, let's scroll back to June 2020. It's the pandemic summer, and for the past four months, my feed was filled with home wine deliveries, virtual tastings, and my first Instagram Live. Remember when those were like brand new and super exciting and nothing would connect? The summer slowly opened up outdoor tastings outside of the metropolitan areas, and I, we, me and my husband, were fiending to get out of the house. Uh, Willie, my husband, and I decided to plan a weekend trip to go wine tasting. Then he was my boyfriend, and we lived together in Oakland, California. He's left me to do with all of the planning per usual, so I picked the Sierra foothills, specifically Amador, to check out a natural wine tasting room I found on Instagram. The end of nowhere. I mapped that it was about 45 minutes outside of Sacramento, so we could drop the dogs off there and head up. So, we drove up windy roads and visited Hank of LeClair & Wines in Somerset. Hey Hank, I gotta get you on an episode, have lunch, and then we headed to the end of nowhere. We drive to what actually feels like the end of nowhere from Oakland, California, and we arrived. I am taken back by this modern art-filled space set in the Gold Rush era town. We were sipping on skin contact Pinot Gris, I believe it was the Porcelina, when Willie wanted to go back to our Airbnb and change into fresh clothes. Mind you, it was over 100 degrees and we had been driving for over two hours. The sweat just wouldn't stop and my hair was bigger than it already normally is. To my... Tr- What I thought was, the sweat would not stop and my hair was bigger than it normally was. To my surprise, Willie proposes at the Airbnb. Later, he admittedly did not know where we were going and truthfully thought we were going to the rolling hills of Napa and almost didn't want to propose because he was waiting for a scenic space to do so. We go back to the tasting room and honestly drink wine until Chris and his amazing team led us into well past the dark and into an after party. (laughs) So this guest is timely because my husband and I just celebrated our one year wedding anniversary. Since then, we have visited the end of nowhere multiple times for food pop-ups, DJ sets, bringing friends, family, and events to their dreamy back patio. Without further delay, welcome to the show, Chris Walsh, winemaker, owner, grill master extraordinaire from the end of nowhere winery, based in Amador City. Hey, Chris.
1: Hey, why? Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for driving down. How was the drive?
1: I was fine. My pleasure.
0: Good, good. And long time no see. We saw each other. Was that last week that we saw each other?
1: The Uh, week before. (laughs) At Rochambeau. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. I think that was just like two weeks ago. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, so Chris, I will get into the burgers a little bit, but everyone Mm -hmm. needs to know that Chris makes the best burgers ever. When (laughs) we knew he was coming to Sacramento to do a pop-up at Rochambeau, Willie was like, oh my gosh, we have to go. I don't care what day of the week it is. So it was a Wednesday. Rarely do we go out on a school night, but we were out. (laughs) I appreciate it. So your wine story started in bars in the New York city scene versus in the vineyard. So tell us more about that.
1: Uh, yeah, I got into wine backwards. Um, <laughs> I had moved, um, I'm originally from Amador County, but I had moved to New York City um, to be an architectural lighting designer, and uh, 2009 happened, and uh, I needed a new career, essentially. Um, nobody was hiring. So I kind of bs my way into a wine bar um, as a runner-busser. So this was a new wine bar. It was in uh, kind of early 2010. Um, and so I started polishing glasses and I didn't really know anything about wine. Um, other than, you know, the, the old stereotypes that dudes drink red and <laughs> women drink whites and that's about it. Um, which is obviously completely wrong. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I started and I was just working with some really passionate people and I fell in love with wine. Um, and this wine bar only carried, it was called the Tangled Vine. It's on 81st in Amsterdam uh, on the Upper West Side. Um, it's not there anymore, unfortunately. But uh, it only carried wines from Europe that were biodynamic, sustainable, or organic. Okay. So this is kind of even pre the term natural wine. Yeah. At least yeah. in good acceptance, because they did not call themselves a natural wine bar. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and... Um, Yeah, I just, I fell in love with wine and I started and worked my way up from runner busser until I was a sommelier. And uh, then I was like, well, I don't think I want to be a bartender the rest of my life Mm -hmm. Um, or work in restaurants, which is funny because that's basically what I do um, (laughs) at the tasting room. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Um, and then I got uh, an internship at Donkey and Goat in Berkeley in 2014 (laughs) And my three month uh, internship turned into a about eight months that I was working for them, um, and, and I was hooked. So I kind of was like, I got to do this for myself. Yeah, um,
0: yeah.
1: And I wrote a ridiculous business plan that was completely wrong. Like, like not a thing of it was right. Um, but it was, it was a good idea anyway.
0: Yeah, and that uh, led you home. Led me home. Okay. Okay.
1: I kind of figured Amador County was the only place that, um, I could afford to start, uh, a winery. Um, and 2016, it was made offsite, um, at a, a winery that I was working at. And in 2017, first vintage was made at, uh, the end of nowhere. And it was a 600 square foot two car garage. Mm-hmm. And that's what it started at. And, uh, in 2020, we moved into my dad's old auto shop, which is 1600 square feet. So got a little bigger.
0: A little bit. Just a little a bit. A little bit. Yeah. And that tasting room has really like nods to your dad's, you know, um, auto shop, mm-hmm. you know, some of the decor plus your art. It's very, it tells a story kind of y- of you and your family.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, uh, an Austin Healy light hanging from the ceiling. Um, and then, uh, Front, the front of the bar is a, a 49 Ford truck, which is appropriate since we're off Highway 49.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's uh definitely a refreshing space i had been to amador before to wine taste with my parents growing up and you know zin is is what it's known for right and um you know bigger bolder red wines and so i was really surprised i was like okay there's a natural winery out here you know i can't i wonder what the wines will taste like so being a pioneer native coming back to your home county Mm -hmm. um let's talk about the sierra foothills terroir and the wines and kind of i guess what is typically made there and then what you've decided to do there
1: (laughs) (laughs) um okay so i mean the terroir the the foothills are great in in the sense that they're just they're jumbled up um it's a big mix so where i'm at uh sourcing from amador and el dorado counties um huge different range um you know you've got volcanic soils um from basically just decomposed volcanic kind of sandy loamy to clay to volcanic ash. Um, and then, you know, out out in Plymouth you have, um, really red clay soils. Um, and then there's limestone in the mix. Um, that's where, you know, around volcano in Amador County is all limestone. That's why black cavern,
0: uh, Mm -hmm. black
1: chasm is uh, there. Um, and, you know, you go further south, Matthew Rourke's place in Calaveras, RHV, is all uh, limestone as well. Uh, Shake Ridge has some black slate. Um, so, you know, there's a huge range um, of soil types and microclimates um, because there's all these, you know, you've got, I'm up at 3,300 feet, but the ridge lines above me are 36 and 3,500 feet. Um, so they'll get snow and I won't. Um, and then, you know, Plymouth is 1,200 feet You know, it's um, it's a huge, huge uh, range of things We get, Amador County gets a lot of the Delta breezes um, Because unlike a lot of counties, both of our borders, north and south, are rivers um, mm, You have the Gostimus yeah. in the north and the McCollumy in the south And so that's that's a lot different um, than other places in, in California um, and then with everything else so close, you know, the Delta's an hour and a half away from me, and I'm at the top of the county, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, any, anything, you know, you can do or want to do pretty much can exist, and you get some really unique expressions.
0: Yeah. It makes it a hidden gem, really. I mean, you, I think a lot of folks focus on the Sonomas and the Napa's and some of the, you know, more known names in California, but, you know, being from Sacramento, you know, I, I familiar with the, the, the Sierra foothills. And as I got into wine, I got into it even more. There mm-hmm. used to be, I feel like it used to be the pass through to go to Tahoe yep. as I was growing up. And now it's like, okay, wait, looking at it from a wine lens, there's so much that can grow here in um, certain varietals that can be done a little bit different. And then some that can really just blossom and kind of where they belong.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, my, you know, real attraction was it was home, but also, you know, there were so many um, wineries, natural wineries that you'll know that source fruit from Amador and El Dorado um, and even further up um, near Grass Valley, Nevada City kind of area, and south uh, to Calaveras, that they're not based for the most part. Very few people are based in in the foothills. La Clarine Farm, um, if you want to if you're counting in the Sarah Foothills ABA, you've got Frenchtown Farms, you know, closer on. Um, but there's not a whole lot. Yeah. They just source fruit from there. Right. Um, so it was a good opportunity because, um, you know, it's kind of an undis- undiscovered place for um, actually putting a tasting room, putting a winery based there. Um, and not just driving fruit from from there to a winery in the Bay Area or something. Um, So there's a lot of opportunity there, I think. And then, yeah, it's like, I think the Foothills, Amador County especially, um, and to another extent, you know, El Dorado, Calaveras, it's the only time you're going to actually walk in and maybe meet the winemaker at the tasting room. There's still a lot of mom and pops, which you don't see anymore in in Napa or Sonoma, you know, to to any extent like it used to be. Right. Um, you know, most of those are quietly, secretly corporate. They, right. they don't tell you that they're part of a conglomerate.
0: <laughs> and, you know, when we first walked in um, to your tasting room, you were there. You were there at the counter pouring the mm-hmm. wines, so and I was like, oh, yep. that's him. That, that's Chris. <laughs> yep. Yep.
1: I'm, yeah. I'm there most days.
0: Yeah. You're there. You're not just pouring the wine, but you're on the grill. You're chatting with folks and letting the people know your story, like upfront and personal, which I love. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And so what varietals, if you want to kind of tell folks, if folks have never been to the Sierra Foothills, what varietals really shine there?
1: Oh, I think there's, you can pretty much do anything you want. But historically, Amador County was Zinn. And obviously for the last 20, 30 years, 30, I guess, almost 40, um, it's been big Zinn. So a lot of times you go there, you're going to get larger styles, the opulent California Zinfandel that people think of, 14 plus, 15 plus alcohol. Um, And more recently, it's kind of transitioned. Um, Barbera is kind of the new thing, um, and not new uh, within the last 30 years. Um, Kind of big, a lot of... A lot of winemakers in Amador County and Eldorado to another extent are planting that working with it um, but again I think most people tend to make it in this larger style yeah um, which was you know that was a national trend and to a certain extent I guess a global trend um, from the 90s on that bigger was better right um, and you, you lose it I used to see I mean I was very fortunate because of my wine background to see older Zins from California, even from Napa that were 12%, 13% alcohol. Um, Of course they were from the early eighties, but, um, and maybe some of the early nineties and they're still alive and kicking. Um, they were well-made and they were really good. And so I thought, well, I'm not, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I'm just going back to the old ways. Right. Um, which was some f- fun when I started because I actually had farmers push back and be like, you can't pick now. <laughs> and I was like, no, <laughs> it's in my contract that I can. Um, and, and then some of the farmers were, you know, they're old enough that they're like, oh, you want to go back to like 1978?
0: And it's like, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least for
1: pick dates. Um, you know, which means you're picking's in in August as opposed to October.
0: And what does that do for the wines, picking early?
1: Um, well, in the way that, you know, most natural wines, I think to be natural, you know, you're, you're not just looking at ripeness. You're not just looking at bricks, sugar content. You want to know what the acidity is as well. Um, so the pH matters a lot. Um, and, again, volcanic soils, some soils hold acid better. Um, they maintain acidity in the fruit a little bit better, so... You get some leeway, um, and it really depends, I mean, based on the site and whatever, but you're going, if you're looking at the whole picture, I don't actually really care what the alcohol is. I care what it's going to taste like. Yeah. Um, and so I'm usually out there tasting and looking at stuff. Um, so that's, if you're looking at the whole picture, you're not just going to pick it and be like, oh, I want this big jammy thing, and then I'll add acid back, because I don't do that. Right. So the acid has to be there um, if you want a wine to, you know, be well-rounded.
0: Right, right. Because you're working with the grapes in their natural, natural, natural form. yeah, Yeah. no manipulating. And when you decided, so actually I did not know that the wine bar you worked with in New York city was working with biodynamic wines. Mm -hmm. I I didn't know that that's what they were serving. I think that's the first time I heard that from you. Did, so when you decided you were going to do your thing and your thing in wine, so coming from donkey and goat and then doing your own thing, was it, it's going to be natural wine for sure for you? Or was it like, you know, I like wine. I'm going to see where this takes me.
1: Uh, no, I wanted it to be natural. Um, That was the whole goal. It just, it struck me as why not, you know. Um, Wine is, um, I guess if you boil it down at a certain point, it's a luxury, right? Right. I'm not raising food to feed people to keep them alive. I'm making wine. (laughs) So you can farm organic. You cannot do all this other stuff. um, Because if you can do it that way, why wouldn't you? was sort of my thought and then having had really fantastic natural wines it's like I I kind of you know I'm not if you're looking for honesty and alcohol you're <laughs> you're probably looking in the wrong spot but I think you can make a more honest product more straightforward where it's like this is what it is and if you don't like it that's great
0: mm-hmm. it's a wonderful
1: thing about it it's it's your palate yeah um so if you like it great if you don't um there's a lot of other wine out there for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I want I like the the ethos. I like the idea that just make it and don't mess with it, you know, and really celebrate um, the uniqueness. And every year is different. So. Yeah. I don't want my wine to taste the same year after year after year. You know, you try and, like, if you're making a Carbonic Zin, you want it to be in a certain alcohol range. You're looking for kind of uh, the same parameters. Mm -hmm. But every year is going to be different, and let it be. Yeah. You know, if you want to to drink something that's consistent year after year, hey, bourbon's there. Um, (laughs) So, like, you know, wine should be unique and different every year.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that variance um, is definitely something that I've touched on before. Um, but one thing that stands out to me, I remember going to your tasting room that first day and we did a vertical, vertical mm-hmm. meaning um, these are the same wine but different vintages, and we did the porcelain, the Pinot Gris, mm-hmm. I think we did, and then you showed us um, the different levels of skin contact. So mm-hmm. one was lighter and then one was a little more orange. Mm-hmm. And then we did, which was my personal favorite, as you know, Mm -hmm. the um, Carvonic Zinfandel. uh, um, Carvonic Zinfandel. And what years were those? I think we started with 18 or 17.
1: Uh, Gosh, yeah, it was probably, well, I still have a little bit of 16, 17. So it could have been, I think it was probably 16, 17, 19 at the time that I was born. Unfortunately, there wasn't any in 2020. That was my fault. (laughs) I screwed up. Um, so that wine didn't really happen. Um, but yeah, it probably would have been 16, 17, 19, 18 sold out really fast and I didn't make a whole lot of it in that year. Um, But uh, I still have a little bit of the 19.
0: The 18 was juicier, I think. That one, yeah, 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 I I vividly remember that one. Um, And when we tasted through um, these wines, it was really cool comparing the different years, Mm -hmm. right? I think some of the years I got more acidity, some Mm -hmm. more um, juiciness, and then there was one that almost felt a little bit, pico de Mm. um, gallo-ish in it. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you first opened the bottle, it did, and then it really developed. Um, So those were my favorite wines. We actually ended up choosing one of those wines as the red wine at our wedding. Um, And people were like, wow, you're doing Zin. Out of all the wines that you get to taste and you have, you're choosing a California Zin. And I was like, well, no, watch it. Wait, wait. It's a carbonic Zinfandel. And I chose that because of the... We served... Of course, steak and chicken at the wedding, Mm -hmm. but I think it went well with dinner. Yep. Then also I had the bar chill some and hold that for the dance floor because I think that is just the wine that's so, um, it's so fun and it can do so much. And that's why I personally love, um, carbonic, um, Mm -hmm. styles and Fendales. And for those of you that aren't familiar with, um, carbonic maceration, Chris, do you want to explain that winemaking style?
1: Yeah. So how is it different? Um. And where it's really kind of famous and used a lot is in Beaujolais and in France uh, for Gamay. But um, the way you do it is instead of crushing the fruit, a lot of red wine, you know, you either to stem it off the, off the stems and then crush it or you foot tread it with the stems involved. And so then that just kind of the juice and the skins and everything is in there soaking and that's where it derives the color or a lot of the color and the tannins and structure. For carbonic, you don't crush the fruit. It goes whole cluster just like you picked it into a tank. And then you can push off the oxygen in the tank with carbon dioxide. Now that's not to freeze it. You can screw up and freeze it if you just, you know, use too much carbon dioxide. You're not trying to really, you know, cool it down or pressurize the tank. It's not fermenting under pressure. It's just to get rid of as much oxygen as possible. So then it's an inside-out fermentation. So if you actually pulled a cluster out of the tank after a few days, it always smells like candy, too. It's super candy. like (laughs) makes the winery smell great. But if you pulled a cluster out of there, um, the berries would be fizzy inside. So you eat them, and they're kind of like Pop Rocks. Um, That's so cool. (laughs) So super tasty. A lot of people um, will do, you know, a few days of carbonic, um, I've seen like 36 hours. I've seen, you know, seven days with my carbonics in the phantom limb, uh, is the name of it. Um, I pretty much let it go until it's done. So it's okay. usually two or three weeks. Wow. Um, and so then I don't drain the juice either. Um, just kind of let the tank go cause berries will burst, um, as they're fermenting. And I just kind of leave that in the mix, which is why mine is, tends to be a little bit darker, has a little bit more tannin. Um, when it's good, I've given it to people and kind of fooled them, and they were like, "Oh, this is is this cru Beaujolais?" It's like, "No, nah, <laughs> no, nah, you haven't got cru Beaujolais." But anyway, um, it's more on that line than just candy, because like if you've had Beaujolais Nouveau, sometimes it's still sweet. Um, It can be really candy-like. There are some, obviously some great producers who do that, but um, carbonic wines tend to have a really elevated nose, very candy-like. Zinfandel, I love Zinfandel because it smells like cinnamon when you bring it in um, to the winery. And the carbonic, I feel like, holds that a little bit better. You get that kind of spice.
0: Yes, yes, I definitely get the spice um, in the different vintages. Uh, This wine... So Zinfandel, um, I think your carbonic Zinfandel almost has, like, that Amador twist on it, too. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about it, because you mm-hmm. did compare that to Beaujolais and some of the other carbonic wines out there. Um, and then for those of you that are new to carbonic wines, you can also chill these. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of my favorite parts about these red wines is that you can chill them. Um, the tannins are a little bit lighter. Um, when I've described carbonic maceration to people, I'm like, oh, it has almost, like, this poppy and, like, a lift mm-hmm. off of, like, if you compare it." compare to like your your zinfandel that you do have um, done uh, without carbonic maceration, mm-hmm. and you side by side it with the one that is carbonic, there's almost like this little weight lifted off of it, um, juiciness and a little um, lighter. Um, per se. And so that makes them great for you know the hot summers mm-hmm. here in Northern California. Yeah. Um, but then also enjoy it you know with Thanksgiving, with some of your you know winter meals and all that because it has that versatility.
1: Mm-hmm. I always say a joke with the phantom limb, the carbonics in that it's like I say it's my porch pounder. You know, it's, it's the one, you don't need any food with it. It works great with food. um, But the other joke I always tell is that, you know, people go, what do you pair with it? And other than Thanksgiving dinner, which it pairs excellently (laughs) with, um, turkey and cranberries, super good. But I always go, grilling. Yeah. Grilling. I'm like, yeah, you know, when you're lighting the grill and you're like walking around and you're prepping everything, that's the wine for that. That's the wine you You drink then, yeah. (laughs) It's it's your first (laughs) bottle.
0: Yes, yes. Um, and these are bottles that I always keep on hand. We still have a couple we've held up back from the wedding. And, you know, I have the latest vintage in front of me. What year is this? 2021. 2021. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you also make a Primitivo. So I do want to talk about Primitivo versus Zen, um and their relationship.
1: Yeah. Um, well, that's, <laughs> um, you know, there's people, they say they're the same. If you've got the big uh, Jancis Robinson, you know, book on grapes, um, if you go looking for Primitivo, it says, you know, season Vendell or see Tribadrag. I can't remember which one it's under. Um, And they say, you know, they're the same. Um, And I, you know, well, people are, what, 99.9% the same, (laughs) and yet we're all very different. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of think that's sort of the same, and I... I have to give credit. Uh, I was talking with Ann Kramer at Shake Ridge about that, and I was like, well, are they the same? They're not the same. You know, why are we, other than one hung out in southern Spain, or southern Italy, sorry, for uh, you know, a little while, and then got brought over here in a different way than Zinfandel did. Um, but, you know, genetically, they're supposedly the same. There is a lot of differences in um, in Zen and Primitivo, but there's also a lot of differences in like site-specific things and clones, because mm-hmm. um, a lot of, you know, the grapes that we're working with, you don't plant seeds, you're doing cuttings from other plants, so your, you know, rootstock or your mm-hmm. your plant material um, is off of several plants. And so it's all one clone. And I've worked with different clones of Syrah at one of the wineries I worked at where we were using five different clones. They were all from about 10 miles apart vineyard wise. And they were wildly different. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I only work with, currently I'm only working with Primitivo from Shake Ridge Ranch. Okay. Um, she also has Zinfandel planted. Um, And She differentiates between the two so I differentiate between the two, but I've noticed that you know The clusters are a lot smaller on the Primitivo Um, Generally tighter, you know, the berries are closer tighter together Um, and There there is some different qualities to it. So it, it it depends on on what you want i do find it funny when people are like oh i make a zin and then i make a primitivo and it's completely different stylistically cuz it's like right there the same thing right but you get a huge range of different flavors from primitivo and zin and i think you know you can make primitivo and Make it the same way as Zen. So I'm not really helping this (laughs) because I keep changing my mind. Honestly, I keep changing my mind on it. Whereas I used to be pretty hardline on, oh, they're the same thing. And it's like, it's just a name difference. But the more I've been looking at them, some of it is more than just site specifics, I think. Um, And so I'm, you know, but, you know, I don't know, my 21 Primitivo smells a lot like Zinfandel.
0: Really? Yeah. Okay, because I yeah. the previous ones I've
1: had th- to
0: me there's a difference, right? Yeah. A clear difference. Yeah. So, dang, I'm gonna, I think I have to get a bottle of the 2021 Rumidivo well, now so I can compare them.
1: I think it to me it's like oh, it tastes like Zin because it's like 14.6. Okay. Know. It's it's the highest alcohol thing, one of the highest alcohol wines I've ever made. So, which is kind of crazy because 14.6 in Amador County is. Still that's, low. <laughs> right, right. I was like
0: that's normal to low. So mm-hmm. your your wines typically range like thirteen to fourteen or no, you have some that drop to I twelve, have, right? I 11.
1: have I have um the, the I've made wine from ten percent to now fourteen six. Um a lot of my range is in the mid elevens to low thirteens, you know. So elevens, twelves is far more standard than fourteen.
0: Uh, and in natural wine, that that is the norm. We pick earlier, um, the higher acidity, mm-hmm. um, and then there's lower alcohol content typically.
1: Typically, yeah. There are some there are some outliers, um, or people some you know making it in the larger style. But because if you're if you're using ambient or native yeast, um, whatever term you prefer, you know if you're not using yeast from a bag, you don't know what its fermentation qualities are. Mm-hmm. So. If you're bringing in something that's 15.5 in alcohol or it's potential 15.5 and your yeast can't hack that, um, you're going to have 14% alcohol wine that's sweet Uh and stuck and probably going to go funky on you
0: yeah so you mentioned funky and -hmm. then i heard you earlier say you messed up one year i want to talk about wine flaws so i haven't talked about this at all in um in natural winemaking whether it be flaws or just the natural wine process not going your way right? right so you're not using any chemicals additives no commercial yeast and, you know, we talked about the um, variance each mm-hmm. year. So let's define wine flaws and how has natural winemaking not worked in your favor?
1: <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> well, you know, if you're not going to fix things um, and, you know, all winemakers are going to run into the same same problems, Um having good cellar practices is your best friend to not screwing up a wine. Um, but some things just go south on you. Um, I've had, I've had a couple of wines that I made and dumped, did not release, uh, 2020 Phantom <laughs> limb was one of them. Um, and there was there, I mean, that was, there was some extenuating circumstances with that. My father passed away in November of that year and And I just did not spend the time in the cellar. Um, And so I left, you know, headspace in the tank. Mm -hmm. And that is a recipe for VA, volatile acidity. Um, And that wine just straight up turned into vinegar. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're working at a conventional kind of winery, um, there's a machine for that. You can reverse osmosis. um, You can DVA the wine um, and pull all that out. And, you know, maybe the wine wouldn't be great, but you could blend it into something else. And that's you know what people do. Um, I kind of want to get it right, um, and and yeah. So sometimes natural wines can be funky. Yeah. They do not have to be funky. Obviously, certain styles are lending or pushing that way. Um, if you're not topping your barrels, um, I'm forgetting off top of my head what that term is but um people do it intentionally they don't top their barrels you're kind of asking for trouble um potentially um and so you're going to get oxidation you're going to get other things you're going to get va um Mm -hmm. in the right climates some people won't have a problem with it you might be able to get away with it for years and then all of a sudden you won't be able to get away with it things change um but natural wine, I think, unfortunately, um, has a lot of, it has a reputation for funky wines for the sake of being funky. Yeah. And that, you know, if, if you're making wine for it to be funky, you know, hey, more power to you. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's something that I feel like I have to educate and re-educate folks on, because as natural wine grows um, and gets more into, like, the popular market, folks are looking like, oh, they're, I've had someone literally tell me, oh, you do, you like natural wine, so, like, they're like, I love natural wine, the funkier, the better, and yeah, I'm virtual. like, Like, yeah. And I stare and I'm like, okay, which way am I going to go with this? Am I going to go into my like mini soapbox and talk about how natural wine doesn't have to be funky and there's wines or am I going to just let it go? It's just, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's ways, I mean, I'm going to take orange wine for an example, because that's typically some people will associate that with natural wine that's really just associated with skin contact Mm -hmm. um like your little faith wine that you released this year so good it's beautiful i love the color of orange is personally my favorite color even before i got into wine so the color um uh, the blend of it and the amount of skin contact really adds to that the color the texture the flavor without it veering into the funky categories so Mm -hmm. folks will kind of compare that and look go to wine shops specifically this the store happened in the bay area and i'm like oh yeah i want you know the funkiest wine and ordinaire or this and that and i'm like well it's not really about that um because then that's when folks are you know gravitating from the beautiful world that natural wine can be mm-hmm. right
1: yeah and and well i mean it's uh, to use an art reference you know it's like if all you'd known is like you know claude monet and then all of a sudden you saw Picasso, Picasso's funky, like, right? What? but it's just, it's a different preference. And I had somebody recently tell me that they liked one of my wines cause it tasted like kombucha. And the first thought that ran through my head was I screwed up. <laughs> it's not supposed to taste it's like possible. kombucha. <laughs> um, that's a, that's a bad thing. That means I did something wrong. Um, but yeah, there's certain styles, um, the way I make my orange wine, um, skin fermented whites I generally never make a hundred percent skin fermented there is always going to be some direct to press or white wine air quotes um mixed in just because I don't I've had a lot of orange wines that are super tannic mm-hmm. and aggressive and not all that easy to drink and I yeah. kind of want I want structure but I don't want it to punch me in the face you yeah. know, I don't want to have a fight with it while I'm drinking it.
0: You're right. Right, right. And I mean that goes the same with anything with going like red wines too. Mm-hmm. Like I want my wine red wines to happy an enjoyable experience, flow with food or without food, but not just kind of grab me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> if I need food with it, there's bourbon. Um so. okay. that
0: part. <laughs> that part. Um, there's also, what is your other white? I'm thinking, um, the other skin contact. Well, we talked about the porcelain a little bit, and that is a pinot gris that you, you make two styles. Do you always make the two styles? Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah, Yeah. So that comes from, uh, Yolo County from Clarksburg. Um, I pick, there's porcelain, uh, which is the white. And then there's, um, Space Boy, which is the red. So pick the same day. Same fruit, it's just some of it gets fermented dry on the skins. That's the Space Boy. And then the Porcelina is the Direct Depress. And yeah. um, and and you know, they're wildly different wines. Um, they smell different, they taste different, they look different. I mean Space Boy's a light red. Right. Um and Pinot Gris, because it's a, kind of a grey grape, can have kind of red skins. Bronzy, mm-hmm. not not red red. Yeah. Um so Space Boy is about as red as it can get and like the two vintages of 21s um, the Space Boy is raspberry tea. You know, it's got fine tannins. It has this kind of tea quality to it and you know, grip. Yeah. The porcelina is all citrus and peach, you know, maybe a little bit of apricot. Just an easy kind of white.
0: Yeah, no. don't have to think about it type of wine. It's, nope. it's so interesting how different they can be, even though, you know, you're picking them the same day and just applying a different practice on it. Mm-hmm. There was another wine that you had, and this was maybe last summer, that I took my parents' wine tasting there. My mom is not a wine drinker. And she's like, oh, I really like that pineapple wine. And it was another, it was your skin contact. It sold out really fast, mm. but it was really fruity and a really juicy I can't remember what it was called, but she kept calling it the pineapple wine. I'm like, what wine is she talking (laughs) about? And she's like, I really like it. And so to have someone that does not drink wine at all, because her idea of wine is, it tastes like wine and it's Mm -hmm. nothing that I want. To have something that she really likes, that just shows really a variance in your style. And Yeah.
1: So the other skin contact white uh, that I make is called Space Oddity. Um, That's that's Verdejo. Yes. Also from Clarksburg. Um, Oh, I have a Bottle in the car. I'll give it to your mom. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that that one usually I make a lot less of. The little faith is a blend of different grapes, and and that one I make a lot more of. It's still sold out in like, yeah, three months this year. Um, I wish it had hung around a little longer, but um, it was it was really tasty. So there it goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, and and the Verdejo, I've played around with the amount of skin contact on it because verdejo can sometimes be kind of grassy or sometimes smell like hay mm-hmm. and so if you do a ton of skin fermentation on it it, it leans into the barnyard smell that the hay, the, smell. The, the, the hay <laughs> smell and that's not for everyone um just because you know I think something we're used to fruit on wine right right we're talking about You know, raspberries and pineapples or whatever tropical fruit, stone fruit, citrus fruit, whatever. Very rarely are you talking about vegetal or it's like it's herbaceous. It's like sage and thyme and and I don't know. I don't think of drinking sage. Right, right. They're just
0: less attractive, I guess, in terms of like wine terms. Yeah,
1: a little bit goes a long way. Right. Mm-hmm. If it's too, if it's got too many herbs in it, it's just going to, well, then you need food with it, right? Right,
0: right. That takes over.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, actually, you're Albarino. You do an Albarino with skin contact, I correct, used right? to. You used to? I used okay. to. Okay.
1: okay. But uh, the vineyard kind of changed hands a little bit, and uh, I'm not able to source it there, so still looking for Albarino again.
0: Okay, and that's another, I feel like, I see a lot of white wine coming out, that white varietal coming Mm -hmm. out of the Sierra Foothills, Mm -hmm. and that really shines with the warmer weather Mm -hmm. up in in the pockets of the Sierra Foothills. Yep,
1: yep. Yeah. They have it at, uh, he's got it up at RHV um, in Calaveras, and um, I know Mm -hmm. Hank, uh, Hank Beckmeyer at La Mm -hmm. Clarene Farm makes one, Um, and I love working with it, other than it's, it's an early ripener, so it's usually one of the first things in, so... It uh it can extend your harvest. Yeah. So start early.
0: Start early. And that is one of my favorite pairings with um, you know, some like spicier foods. Mm-hmm. Um, so even some, you know, Spanish dishes. Um, and then I saw a lot of Alberinho when I was actually in Portugal too. Oh yeah.
1: So, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, those Pinot Verde wines, mm-hmm. definitely. So your tasting room is one of our favorite places. It's my recommendation for people when they're like, okay, I'm looking for, you know, I want to go wine tasting, but I don't think I want to go like plan a day to go all the way to mm-hmm. Napa or Sonoma, especially living here. And I tell everyone, oh, you have to go to the end of nowhere. It's only like 45 minute drive, um, really easy drive. And you get out there and you just can really just immerse yourself in the day there. Um, you have lots of different offerings there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from burgers, steak, pizza, and other pop-ups like mm-hmm. fried chicken and oysters. Yeah, Let's talk about your burgers. I mean, don't give away the secret recipe, but <laughs> I mean, that is, if, if people are looking for just a good burger and wine and hang out in your patio, like that's, yeah. that's it. Like what, 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 what was your inspiration to make that one of the offerings at the tasting room.
1: Well, so that, that again, kind of started um, in the pandemic because I moved into my current space and um, just, you know, a door down from where I had been before um, in mid-February of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> so I opened up just in time to shut down um, and be retail only. But the new space has this tiny little kitchen and it had a restaurant license. So I had been planning with friends um, who owned a restaurant that we were going to do a pop-up. And uh, he printed all the cards and did everything. And then his restaurant went out of business. And uh, so his chef was available. And Chef Andy, um, he's down in L.A. Uh, working for the same same thing, Osteria Labuca. Uh, oh down in.
0: yes yeah. i follow them on instagram they're yeah. one of my on my to-do list yeah right they're, to great. Like... Oh, they're great okay so
1: there's there's two locations um and a little shout out for steven um in sherman oaks and then the other ones on uh, melrose and winton okay um and fantastic food Andy was just making came up with making burgers mm-hmm. and i just had this grill you know and so he's making burgers and pe- people really responded um, but he only did it for like six weeks. Um, and then he went back to L.A. And I kind of just went, you know, we got to keep this going. I can do burgers. <laughs> but I didn't want to do what Andy was doing. I wasn't going to copy him. <clears throat> um, just because I'm like, he's actually he's actually a chef. And I'm just the guy who grills. Yeah. Um, but, you know, have all the right licenses. So what I did was I came up. And this is no secret. I'm not telling you the. The blend, the secret amount blend. But um, our burgers are um, the grass fed beef, their wagyu, uh, their bison, and their lamb. Okay. Mixed into that's our house grind.
0: So okay. people come up
1: and go, Can I just have a lamb burger? No, you can't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's all mixed in. And then we cook it on mesquite. Okay. Um, yeah, that so, can smell when Yeah, I'm we're there, always, yeah. it's people are like, What are you smoking? And it's like, We're not actually smoking. Um, anything, but it does give a lot of smoky flavor, um, and it's just yeah, it's kind of a decadent.
0: Yeah, burger. Yeah, your hands will smell like mesquite afterwards, but mm-hmm. it's just like perfect and oh, just so wonderful. Yeah. Um, what are I guess you know I know you start stop, are stopping the pizza for season, mm-hmm. cause the season because that's almost in the summertime.
1: Yeah, we're replacing it with what
0: pop ups can folks. Uh, Okay, fried chicken. So fried yeah. chicken on
1: Thursdays. Okay, fried um, yeah. chicken on
0: Thursdays. Very cool, very cool.
1: Um, and then so this, this uh, Wednesday for Thanksgiving, um, we're doing a Friendsgiving, but it's, you know, don't bring anything um, where we're doing the food. So we've got some uh, little foods we're doing, but then we're also doing oysters. So we do, we get raw oysters and chuck those, and you know, some of the wines pair really well with them. Also out in Amador, you just can't generally get it. So we come down to the fish market and get get oysters. Um, there will be another steak night in December. And then uh, December 23rd, we're doing a, a go-go Christmas party. Oh. So, so oh. we'll have a DJ and... <laughs> Will it be Matt the DJ? It will be Matt the DJ. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, no, I have, I I,
0: I love his music, so yes, okay, I'm excited for that, I'm going to have to come up there, Yeah. bundle up, and go hang out. Yeah, Yeah. well,
1: yeah, we'll have all the, uh, we'll have the fire pits going, and the heaters, and all that stuff, so you can hang outside, because we we do have more outdoor space than indoor.
0: Yeah, definitely. So what are, let's think about your wines paired with some holiday
1: dishes, what are Mm. some of your
0: favorite pairings?
1: Well, my my go-to is Phantom Limb with, you know, because the day after turkey and cranberry sandwich paired with that is really good, and, um, maybe my favorite vintage for that right now actually is the 19, um, so we're going to be offering that, um, just because it is a lighter, a little bit of a lighter take, the 21 will definitely work too, um, but the 19 is definitely super spicy, so it works, it's got, it's got a lot, it tastes like cranberries anyway, um, so there's that. I do think um, we're we're just releasing a new Space Oddity Verdejo um, that will go well with just hanging out with family. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I think it pairs. It's bright. It's you know, fruit driven. So it goes well with food. A lot of the wines I, I do think are very food friendly because they they're not overpowering. Yeah. Um. You know. So there's that. There's a new Primitivo as well. Um, other in, but um yeah I think you know a lot of them do just generally go well because the larger zins I think go better with like ham or if you're doing prime rib yeah um depending on what you're doing or duck um but lighter reds to me that was always my thing it was like Beaujolais was the Thanksgiving dinner pairing and then yeah. it's like no, well, now it's carbonic zin
0: yeah definitely and I think that's why I think that's another reason I mean I, I all of the natural wine people I know love food right and so they just lend each other uh, lend to each other and that's one thing I love about natural wine is that there's so many things different food pairings activity pairings mm-hmm. um, I think some conventional red wines like you try to watch Netflix and you're asleep with you know a really big Syrah or something like that so to have wines that you can do activities with do a you know music pairings I know your your names are mm-hmm. are definitely
1: 're influenced
0: by music um, but when you look at that it just I don't it lends itself to really that communal culture of natural wine and I think that's something that I've seen really with you with my previous guests and future guests is that there's really that tie-in of the culture that natural mm-hmm. wine lends and the people that we've met in this industry that is just different than any other thing I've experienced
1: yeah and and going back to my background I you know had a have a theater degree, and you know, working on something that's really wonderful. Wine is a small world, um, yeah. and the best for me, the best part of it is when I can go to a place, go to a restaurant, go to a wine bar, and not just if they're carrying my wine, but if they just, you know, boy, a good good wine bar has that that hangout feel. Yeah, and, and there's a lot more of that than you know. Not to throw shade on Napa, um, but, you know, if you're going wine tasting there and you're spending $500 on a case of wine, mm-hmm. um, that's not really a community hangout feel. Yeah. It's a go home and put it in a fancy cellar and, <laughs> you know, sell it, I don't know, commoditize it, but um, the best, for me, the best part about wine and is is community, is the hangout. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. And I think that's really what's drawn me to natural wine, Um that's why I keep coming back to your taster room, not because now I'm close, to Sacramento, <laughs> but it's just definitely just that 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 hangout feel, the feeling that you get from drinking the wines, um, and not just the alcohol, but more so just having conversations about it. You know, um, wine is subjective; it's personal, and to share those feelings, um, those those tastes, um, those reflections, it's just there's something there's nothing like it actually.
1: No, yeah. well, and also you know if the the wine is 11% alcohol or 12% alcohol, you can drink more than you would if it was 16%. You can have two glasses of 16% and it's night, night. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming down to Sacramento to chat with me. Before we go, let's tell our listeners where they can find you on Instagram.
1: All right. We are at uh, end of nowhere.
0: Yeah, and there's underscores in there, it's right? un- There Maybe are that.
1: underscores, uh, and underscore of, and underscore nowhere. But if you just type in end of nowhere, uh, you'll see us, uh, there's a dinosaur Yeah, uh, in the photo. So. Yeah,
0: very cool dinosaur logo with end of nowhere. Just kind of in the T is that a T Rex?
1: It is a T Rex, okay, but the yeah. actual the Instagram <laughs> one is from a Golden Book, so it's 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 another T Rex, but it's it's not this not our actual logo that we designed.
0: <laughs> okay, and the hours of your tasting room?
1: Uh, so Thursday from five to eight, Friday and Saturday twelve to eight p.m., and then Sunday twelve to six ish. Yeah, depends yeah all depends well we're always open till 6 yeah we might just be open later
0: yeah there you go well thank you so much for listening everyone tune in every other week for relatable natural wine knowledge and to drink wines worth talking about subscribe to this podcast and i'll connect you with a wine your palate vibes with a story that intrigues you or simply become your go-to wine friend follow nod wines on instagram listen to apple podcasts spotify and all podcast platforms this podcast is brought to you by we are sacramento and the loft cheers